Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I praise God that today I'm here with you, preaching the gospel to you. Many of you are online listening to me, and my name is Jonathan Michael, and uh, I have preached here in your wonderful sanctuary before, and I've just been delighted to meet many of you and know many of you, and especially dear to my heart is my brother and friend, Matt Shan. So Matt, thank you so much for the invitation today, and I'm just delighted to share with you uh, from that scripture that was read to us uh, today. Uh, the scripture was Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. And so, you know, wherever you are in your home, you need to know something. I'm not a good storyteller. I won't have any cool little illustrations. But there's one thing I love is I love the good book. You know, I, I just love this book. And so you're going to be lost if you don't pull out your Bible. See, the nice thing about staying at home is you get to pull out your New American Standard Bible, your ESV, your NIV, and make sure that the preacher is on track. So uh, that, that's going to be exciting. So you can pull out your notebook, you can sit at your dining table, you can have your kids around you, and you can look into God's Word. And I pray this uh, today, at this time, wherever you are, whatever time you're listening to it, that you will find strength and comfort, and hope, and exhortation, and hopefully some conviction, and some uncomfortableness, because Scripture is meant to do that, to shake us out of our lethargy, to get us off our seats, and to do the things that God has called us to. And this passage is a very powerful passage, and I'm so grateful to God for the opportunity and privilege of this passage. It's very dear to my heart. And I know you're going to be looking through the book of Acts, and this is Missions Day here at this church, and, and we've been singing songs about crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne, and that Jesus is the crown king, that he's the reigning king, that he's the ruling king, that he's the returning king. And so as, as you've worshipped together with the worship team, as you've lifted up your hands and says, we crown with many crowns, I want you to know that Jesus has already been crowned. He's been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether things on earth or things under the earth or things above the earth in the heavenly places, Jesus is Lord. And that was the testimony of the early church. The early church that we see, the birth of the early church, as you're going to go through the book of Acts with Pastor Matt and other pastors and leaders in this church, tells us this incredible incendiary fellowship, this fire that began in Jerusalem, went out into Judea, went out into Samaria, and has gone to the ends of the earth and has come to Chilliwack, from where it is going to Thailand and Burundi and other places that our fellowship actually sends forth people out. And there's still a need for those kind of people. We call them missionaries, but they have an apostolic commission, whether they're going to the Northwest Territories whether they're going to South America or whether they're going to downtown Eastside Vancouver where people, broken people need to hear Jesus or if they're going to Richville in Richmond or West Vancouver and telling those poverty-stricken West Vancouver people that they need Jesus because they are poor. 
And if they recognized their poverty, they would come to Jesus. So we are part of this incredible movement of 2,000 years. And we are not going back. This COVID thing, this consternation, this confusion that's taking on the world is not a problem for us because we know who rules, who reigns, and who is coming back. So we have this gospel. And this passage today tells us about that. And I've entitled this passage... Uh, my, my title for the sermon is The King and His Kingdom, and my subtitle, if this could turn into a book, would be The Confused and the Commissioned. Now, I want to ask you a question today. Is there some confusion in your life? Today, I have a goal. <laughs> I believe that's God's goal for you, to not live in confusion but to live in commitment, to live as a human being who has been redeemed by God to have a commission on your life. Because we know the whole world is looking for meaning and purpose. Now, if you're an atheist listening to this, I want you to know you're welcome here. And the reason is, as an atheist, you can never find meaning or purpose. As our friend Richard Dawkins says, you know, there's no meaning or purpose in the universe. So why bother having any meaning? Why bother even living because there's no meaning in life. But we know, and we're here as the gathered people of God, wherever we are around our dining tables, on our radios, wherever we are, we're the gathered people of God. And when we are gathered together, the Spirit comes in power. And I expect the Spirit of God to reach out using all this modern technology and reach out to you and touch you wherever you are in the name of Jesus. So here's what happens. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And there are 50 days before the next great event of the church. Now, uh, you know, you, you, we, we celebrate the death of Jesus uh, and we celebrate Easter or uh, Resurrection Sunday. And some churches celebrate Pentecost Sunday. In fact, a lot of traditional churches do. Pentecost, Whitsuntide, or Whitsunday, uh, or Pfingstfest in German, for those of you who have a little smattering of German. We celebrate that day. But have you ever been to a service where there's Ascension Sunday? You haven't, unless you come from a very traditional background. But the Ascension is probably the most neglected doctrine in all of theology. And I say that because I actually spent years studying this. And finally, on a, on, a, on a weekend, I wrote my graduate essay of 110 pages on this very topic of the ascension. So I know it's the spirit that caused Pastor Matt to ask me to speak on this topic. Don't worry. I, won't, I don't have 110 pages to read for you. I only have my Bible over here. And I'm going to speak to you from these few verses from 6 to 11. So in verse 6 you see that the disciples, I see, they're confused. Now, they've gone to Bible school for three years with Jesus. And it's not Columbia Bible College. It's not Trinity Western University. It's not even Regent College. I mean, the teacher that they had who didn't have a PhD, who was just a carpenter who would never get a job at Regent College, probably never get a job at Trinity because he doesn't have a PhD, was a carpenter, a Galilean called Jesus, the Nazarene. But filled with the power and the wisdom of God as he walked as the Son of God and the Son of Man, he ran a Bible school, and you would think he'd have the best students in the world. Well, he had a bunch of ragamuffins. You know, the only intelligent guy among them seemed to be Judas. Now, you know what happened to him. In fact, if you don't, you'll find out in the next few uh, services probably. 
because we're going to look at uh, Judas. But then he has like a top-up thing. You know, in India, we have three years degree. And then when students from India come to Trinity, they have to do an extra year to make up. So Jesus had a makeup class for these guys who never got it. I mean, right to the time he died, they were confused about why he should die, that Messiah should die. So then he's risen from the dead and they still don't believe. And they finally have to, Jesus has to come to them. And in, 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 in Acts chapter 1, as you probably already saw, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. In fact, some, I think in the King James it says many infallible proofs. And that's why I believe in the Bible. You see, you're looking at a guy who's tried to be an atheist, and it didn't take. Three times in my life I tried to be an atheist, it didn't take. Jesus is risen, and I have an experiential reality of Jesus in my life, and I hope you do. And they say, Lord, of course they're acknowledging him as Lord, the guy who's risen from the dead. This is the end of Bible school, guys. This is a graduation. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, before you get all excited about those stupid disciples, we're like them. How many of you have been, uh, you can raise your hand in your living room, how many of you have been looking at all of these books and these uh, TV programs that said Apocalypse Now and the great thing is coming, Israel is going to be invaded, Syria, the end of the age has come. Martin Luther was doing that back in the 16th century too. People were thinking, oh, the Turks are coming, the Constantinople, you know, everything has changed. Jesus is coming soon. Well, the truth is Jesus is coming soon because it's only been two days since he left. Because it says a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. So a couple of thousand years and it's just a couple of days. So hey, hang in there. Jesus is coming soon. So they want Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, when they do that, they expose the thoughts and intentions of the heart. First of all, they're very nationalistic. And by the way, right now this has a lot of uh, uh, points because many countries in the world, India included, are very nationalistic. Now you poor Canadians, uh, you're not nationalistic enough. You guys need to stand up before the flag, put your hand on your chest and start singing loudly, Oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee, God keep our land. You guys need to be a little more patriotic. But other other countries are very fascist or nationalistic and say, okay, India has got to be a Hindu country forever. This is, this is the land of the Hindus. And in Islam too and other places, there's a very nationalistic fervor that's rising. Well, the disciples were no different. They had this nationalistic fervor. And they were confused. The confusion comes from three things. I'm not going to spend too much time with them. But if you like your English grammar, the first thing is the verb, restore. They want the old times, the good old days, when David was king and everything was good and, and stuff like that. The days of Solomon, the great of the temple, the Romans kicked out. They also are very interested in their country and their people, the Jewish people, finally, we're going to kick out the Romans, Messiah is going to come riding on a white horse, and everyone's going to be happy. And finally, there's what the English teachers among us would call the adverbial clause, at this time, they're impatient. Everything now. Are you like that? Are you one of those instant Christians that said, Jesus, do everything now. Sanctify me. You know, deliver me from drugs, porn, women, wine, song, all that stuff instantly. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. Trust me. So that's the confusion that they have. The second thing you see in their confusion is, is not only the nature, the timing, and the extent 
Jesus answers all their questions in a roundabout way because he's a master teacher. And so for their confusion, he gives them a correction. So the first point would be, if some of you just love those little alliterations and things like that, the first C is confusion. And in confusion, they're confused about the extent and the timing and the nature of the kingdom of God, which is such an important passage in the scripture. In fact, those of you who pray the Lord's Prayer say, thy kingdom come. Well, you better know what the kingdom is about. The kingdom starts off with the rule and reign of the king. And something happens here that's very powerful. He corrects them by saying, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. Two different words in the Greek text. The first one is chronos that has to do with chronological time. So I have a chronograph on my hand, right? So the passing of time. But the also, he talks about kairos, those epoch seasons in the history of, in salvation history, where God comes and delivers his people, like in Moses' time, like in David's time, and in the final deliverance of Messiah who died and rose again on the third day. He said, it's not for you to know. In other words, do not enter here. It's forbidden, verboten for your, you Germans. He says, Father, Father has fixed them. Fixed them. He's got specific timing. God's timing is perfect. Uh, the day you got saved, you think your timing was perfect when you went to that Billy Graham crusade. But actually God was working that out because you were chosen before the foundation of the earth that you should be holy and blameless before him. So God has fixed those times and those seasons. But then what we do is Jesus gives us the part that I want to spend a lot of time here today. The commission. Now, we've all heard of the Great Commission, and most of you have looked at the Great Commission as in Matthew, where it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them, and etc., etc. And of course, the scholars will tell us that teaching them, you know, this, the make disciples part is the main part, and all of the others are part of that. Okay, so making disciples, that's our calling. That's our calling as this community, as this church, as the universal church of God. We have one job to do. The one thing of our lives is to make disciples. And he says this, his commission is very interesting. It's not what you do. It's what he does. And if you don't learn that secret, that it is not what you do, but what he does, you will miss the Christian life, not by an inch, by thousands of miles. It is not what I do, it is what he has done and will do and will do in the future and is doing presently. And he says this, but you will receive power. I have to say it right, power, <laughs> a plosive, <laughs> power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. At that point in time, I just want to pause for a moment. Because I don't pause enough, and my wife often reminds me I need to pause. Have you received power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you? You know, for some people, this is a controversial thing. Oh, Jonathan, I hope you're not a Pentecostal or a charismatic or some of those crazy people. I'm not. I'm a biblicist. You know, you can't put me in a little box. I just want to follow Jesus. And so I'm listening to Jesus' words. And Jesus said, the promise of the Father, this is your promise and my promise. And he says, you don't have to make the promise happen. You don't have to shout and scream and roll on the floor and hope something will happen. You have to wait, as the disciples did, pray and wait and says, God, the task that you've given is so great, I cannot do it. I need your power. And 
the king empowers you with his spirit to do the task that he has commissioned his people. Are you his people? Well, if you're his people, I'm telling you, the test today, at this moment, wherever you are, whatever time you're listening to, here's a test for you. He says, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I a disciple? Am I not a disciple? Here's the deal. Two things. Here's your, here's your litmus test. Whether you're a believer, whether you love Jesus, whether you're walking with him, you can use all kinds of things. But from this text, I'm telling you two things. Have you received power? Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are you? You know, the very interesting thing about the Holy Spirit, Luke is the charismatic theologian. And if you read Luke, you'll see that. Every time the disciples were filled with the Spirit, they were filled with joy. So I tell my wonderful friends who were tongue speaking and prophesying and things like that, I said, listen, end of the day, I believe all the gifts are there for us. But if you don't have joy, <laughs> you don't have the Spirit. He's a spirit of joy. But he's also the witnessing spirit bearing testimony of Jesus. In fact, he did that in John the Baptist when John the Baptist was in mother's womb. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, was bearing witness. Now you need to know that if you're a Christian, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because then witnessing will come naturally to you. Now here's a conviction for you. Some of you are saying, oh my goodness, this guy's making me squirm. I think I'm going to shut this off and go to the kitchen and make myself a cup of coffee. Uh, hang on there. Just hang in there. This is a promise. This is not what you do. This is not what you raise up. This is not, you know, I'm an enthusiastic person. But I, I've got to tell you that that doesn't say that that's the spirit. What matters about the spirit, when the spirit comes in power, we witness to the power and the grace of God. And we only witness to the experiential reality of Jesus in our lives. And the spirit bears witness in our, in our spirit. And we bear witness on people and say, I don't know about this man, but once I was blind, but now I see. You will receive power. Have you got the power? Are you his witness? Now, isn't it very interesting how Jesus answers this? Number one is, the commission answers the question of what is the nature of the kingdom? It says the nature of the kingdom is spiritual. It's spirit-based. It's spirit-empowered, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and God-glorifying. Oh, Matt would love that little three-point outline. It's kind of the thing that he would live, and I, I can hear him laughing there. But you will receive power because it's a spiritual in nature. Is your spiritual life thriving and bubbling over? Is the joy of the Lord overflowing that when people knock you, the witness of Jesus just comes out of your wine glass, or maybe you don't drink wine, your water glass, or your jugo juice glass, whatever it is, that you are so full and overflowing with love for Jesus, with the joy of Jesus, that it spills out into your life. Now, all of you are not called to preach. Trust me, it's not for everyone. And in fact, if you get a call to preach, uh, the greatest preachers question that and says, God, you got to make sure that this is it. I'll tell you the reason, I'll tell you a secret why God calls certain people to preach. It's not because they're good, it's because they're very bad. Now, if you know Matt's story, you know he's a bad boy. And if you get to know my story, I'm a bad boy. So God says, bad boys, we got to put them in the center of the church so that they can't run away and do stupid things and things like that. So we'll keep them under our eagle eye and we'll make them read the Bible every week to preach because that's the only way to keep them out of trouble. So that's why Matt and I are, not because we're good or we're special or anything like that, but because God in his grace has called us to be preachers. But you're not called to be a preacher, maybe. 
And you say, okay, I'm off the hook. You're not called to be a worship leader, maybe, and you say, I'm off the hook. You're not called to be the technical director of this church, and you say, I'm off the hook. You're not off the hook on this one. From Jesus, you're not off the hook. You will receive power, and you shall be my witnesses. The test, the litmus test of whether you are walking with Jesus, whether you're a disciple is, are you bearing witness to the death, resurrection, and the return of Jesus in your life? Uh, and uh, in, your, in your room, you got to say amen to that. Those of you who are really excited, say amen to that. So here they are, and not only is it spiritual in nature, it's international in his membership. In Thailand, there are some people who love Jesus and probably love you because I know some of you are supporting that ministry in Thailand. There are other places in Burundi and other places that people are coming to know Jesus. Why? Because it's an international fellowship. I mean, look at me. Do I look like a nice white Canadian? Do I look like First Nations? No. Most people think I'm African because I go to a church there's a lot of Africans, but I'm not. My funny accent is actually I'm an Indian. You know, the guys that you meet who wear a turban and uh, driving a taxis in Vancouver, the cool people, or the people who run all the cranberry farms and the blueberry farms and taken away from you uh, wonderful white farmers here, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I'm politically incorrect because I'm an Indian. I can say those kind of things, you know, and my funny accent tells you that I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So I'm an Indian. My wife is half German. Hey, that's a good thing. You Germans out there, give a clap now. And, and we are from so many different nations. The church that I go to, uh, we, li- we are in a warehouse because they only think they accommodate us. And we've got 110 flags of 110 nations. <laughs> I'm discipling a guy who's from Albania. <laughs> I'm discipling a guy who is Chinese. <laughs> you know, I'm discipling guys who are from Nigeria and other places. It's an international community. So it's spiritual in nature. It's international in its uh, outlook, in its extent, in its membership. Not just national, not just Jews, but Jews and pagans and Gentiles and everyone else in between. And it's also gradual in his expansion. There's a purpose of that. Jerusalem, why Jerusalem? This is where Jesus died. Where's the best place to tell people that someone rose from the dead? Run away far north into Galilee and tell those people because they've never seen anything. They never saw him crucified. Stay here in Jerusalem and bear witness of the guy who died 50 days ago, rose again 50 days ago, and you shall be my witnesses and you'll be given such power of the Holy Spirit that Peter, the scaredy cat, the guy who denied Jesus, is now preaching the gospel and 3,000 people are getting saved. And so, finally, Judea, Samaria, where the hated Samaritans live, the people that you don't like, <laughs> that, just think of an ethnic group that you don't like. Well, need to go and tell them about Jesus. And then to the end of the earth, which means still a whack. That's the end of the earth, right? That's some of you think. That's the next place before heaven. And then, when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And I want to end with the last point. The ascension of Jesus is so important that I think I, I'm going to exhort Matt to actually take some time to tell them more about the ascension of Jesus. <laughs> but I want to tell you something about the ascension of Jesus. Because it's kind of the missing part of our theology. You know who your Jesus is? He's not some weak, pasty-faced Galilean kind of lying dead in some grave and moldering in his grave. He's not some uh, uh, you know, skinny, blonde, Scandinavian guy with feminine features as many painters have painted him. He's the living Lord. What happened in the ascension is just amazing, glorious. It is even almost greater than incarnation. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to listen carefully, and I'm going to slow myself down because I talk too fast. In the ascension, 
a human being, a human being, a flesh and blood human being entered into the spiritual realm in his physical body and joined to the Trinity. There's a man in the Godhead. I've got someone in the most powerful council on heaven and earth, Jesus. Jesus, your Lord, is not just mere human. He is a human who has been lifted up. And Graham Kendrick has written a beautiful song. He says, he lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. Oh, what a mystery, meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship, for this is your God. And so I want to tell you this about Jesus. And I want to leave you with that. And you know what? This study is short. I've got five more minutes to go, but I'm going to tell you some things about Jesus. Because he, he's my favorite topic. He's the reigning king. Do you have a problem in your life? Is there some sickness in your life? Is there a child that has wandered far from God? Is there a problem? Is there, are you without a job? I want you to know that if he is your Jesus, if you trusted him as your savior, or maybe you will trust him as your savior today, Jesus is the reigning king. He rules and reigns. The kingdom of God is here, folks. The kingdom of God has come and is yet being unveiled. And one day it will be completely unveiled for the whole earth and the universe. And he's not just the king of Chilliwack. He's the king of the universe. Saturn listens to his voice. You know, Mars listens to his voice. Alpha Centauri listens to his voice. The entire universe, the grasshoppers, the sparrows, everything is under his control. That is your God. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. He reigns. He's the reigning king. He's also the redeeming king. <laughs> you know, you, you might look at Matt and I and think, oh my goodness, uh, these guys are holy, godly people. They got halos on the head. We're not. If you start having a video of all the thoughts that go through Matt and I, my head, you'd be terribly disappointed. You might leave the church, which is why God doesn't let you know those things. But, but Matt, you have a savior. He is your advocate. He stands before the throne of God and he rebukes Satan <laughs> because you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and you are spotless and you are righteous and you've been given the righteousness because he who knew no sin became sin for Matt and myself and you that you might become the righteousness of God. And finally, uh, Tolkien stole it from us. So he got to pay copyright on this. The return of the king. Someone greater than Aragon is in our midst. And he is coming again. How is he coming? I'll end with this. He is coming personally, like he left, in person. He is coming visibly, just like he left. And he's coming gloriously. Because that cloud of glory is a theme through the scriptures of the Shekinah cloud of glory. Now, as I close... I want to ask you those two questions again. Have you received the Holy Spirit? When I say received, the Holy Spirit indwells everyone who trusts in Christ. But have you received him in his fullness? I want, over the next 10 days of your life, I'm going to challenge you to do that. To ask the Holy Spirit to not just indwell you, but fill you to the very bottom of your soul to heal those places and empower you to be his witness. And then I'm going to give you homework. You know, you're, you're, you're in classroom today. I want you to take out your pen. And this is about being a witness. You're not called to be a preacher. You may not call to be a worship leader. But you're called to be a witness. 
a witness, a, a martyrs, is to testify. Just don't, you don't have to be Ravi Zacharias. He, he's gone. You just have to be yourself. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Just witness to what the Lord has done in you. And I want you to write the names of two people in your community. Uh, pick some East Indians. Many of them don't know Jesus. And right now I'm praying for a Muslim young lady that she comes to know Jesus. Put them on your list. Take an index card. Take a piece of paper. Write their names down, two people. And commit for the next year to hang out with them. Don't try to give them the four spiritual laws. Don't try to do anything with them. Just be with them. And when you get an opportunity by the Holy Spirit, testify to them about the name of Jesus, higher than any other name, the reigning, ruling king, the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly about all that you can ask or think. You know, my time is gone. Like the Pink Floyd song says, the time is gone. The song is over. Thought I had something more to say. But I've said enough. And the center of the message is, receive the Holy Spirit. Be his witness. Let's just stop for a moment and just be in silence and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, you brought me here by your grace. You have redeemed me by the blood of the Lamb. You allowed me to come and share these few thoughts, weak as I am, clay feet that I have, broken as I am, but this unsearchable riches of Christ, of Jesus the King. I pray for everyone who's listening to me today, who's listened to the song, Crown of Many Crowns, who's listened to the testimonies, who's been part of this service as they are part of this service. Would you speak to them by your Holy Spirit? And Lord, those places in our heart where we deeply need you, I need you, Lord, to say, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. And then, Lord, empower us to move out of our kitchens, our dining rooms, whether it's across the street or around the world. The mission is still the same. Proclaim the truth and live in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.